Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, and on this podcast, we have honest and explicit, soulful and compassionate conversations about sex, pleasure, love, and joy. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com, where you will find all that we have generated for you since 2006. Charlotte and I have been the Pleasure Mechanics at your service, generating online resources for you to explore at your own pace, in your own style. You'll find it all at PleasureMechanics.com. If you're new to the show, get started for free at PleasureMechanics.com slash free. And if you love the show and you've been with us for a while, find ways to show your love and go deeper at PleasureMechanics.com slash love. On today's episode, we have an encore presentation of one of our most popular and powerful episodes to date. It was originally aired in January 2015 as episode 72 of Speaking of Sex. And as we near 400 episodes, I want to remind you that only about half of those podcast episodes show up in the average podcast feed. So you'll find the entire archive at pleasuremechanics.com. And we are resurfacing some of the gems from our deep archive. So new listeners can get on board with some of our core messages. And so we can revisit some of these ideas that we've been talking about for five, six, seven years together on this show. So here is our episode about how to slay sexual shame. This is a huge topic. It impacts almost all of us, as we'll discuss on the episode. And this five-step process we lay out to slay sexual shame, we've heard from so many of you over the years that it actually does work, that there are steps we can take to rid ourselves of the burden of shame. And so we've also set up a survey for you where you can share your experiences with sexual shame. You'll find that survey an opportunity to participate with us at pleasuremechanics.com slash shame, where you'll also find a whole lot of resources for you curated with love so you can begin to slay your own sexual shame. Again, you'll find that all at pleasuremechanics.com slash shame. Here is our encore presentation of episode 74, originally aired in 2015, on how to slay sexual shame. I'm Chris from pleasuremechanics.com, wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. Here we go. Hi, and welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics. And in this podcast, we offer expert advice and practical strategies so you can experience more sexual pleasure. We use explicit language and nothing is taboo. You can submit a question to be answered on future episodes by going to pleasuremechanics.com and hitting the Ask Us Anything button. While you're there, please check out our complete suite of online courses designed to help you master new sexual skills and have the amazing sex you crave. As a listener, speaking of sex, use the code speaking of sex for 20% off the online course of your choice. 
On today's episode, we're going to be talking about one of those toxic emotions that affects us all and holds us all back from having a more amazing sex life. Charlotte will get us started by reading the question submitted by a listener. Kristen writes, Hey you both, thank you so much for talking about sex in a positive way. This is something I never had growing up. I was always taught to link sex with sinfulness and shame. I have recently begun to be sexual for the first time with my amazing and supportive boyfriend at the age of 24, and I have a lot of mental blocks. I am improving by the day. My boyfriend is kind and patient, and the walls are starting to come down. I still have not been able to orgasm, however. Any tips on how to get over a Catholic sex-shaming upbringing? This is a great question, and whether or not you are raised Catholic... Whether or not your family treated sex as something that was shameful, we live in a culture together where sex is kind of considered dirty and shameful and indecent. And so sexual shame affects all of us to one degree or another, and all of us need to do the work of rooting it out and bringing those walls down, as Kristen said, so we can more consciously enjoy sexual pleasure and treat it as a positive force in our life. And the more you do this work of overcoming shame, the more enjoyment of your sexual life you can have and the more powerful it can be as part of your positive life. I also think there are so many people who have been raised Catholic who have had to do this work of undoing the shame that is a part of that religious upbringing. We've met so many people that call themselves recovering Catholics. This is part of a lot of religions and even people who are not really raised religiously are affected by it. And that's the point I want to make that whether or not you're a recovering Catholic, which has its own particular nuances, it affects us all. Absolutely. So let's start by defining shame. We're going to use Brene Brown's definition. She is a leading researcher on shame. She has two amazing TED Talks that you can find at ted.com. And we'll link that up on the show notes at pleasuremechanics.com slash shame. But she's fantastic and brilliant, and I love all of her stuff. So what does she say? Based on her research and the research of other shame researchers, this is a quote from her, I believe there is a profound difference between shame and guilt. I believe that guilt is adaptive and helpful. It's holding something we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling psychological discomfort. I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. So let's apply this to our sexuality. So guilt, she's saying, is when you feel the discomfort or the divide between your values and your actions. So you say you love your wife, but you haven't been paying attention to her recently, and you've been paying more attention to your fantasy football league, and you start to feel guilty about that. And that feeling of emotional discomfort helps remind you of your values and what you want to be doing differently. And she says that's useful. Shame, on the other hand, is the belief that something about who you are or want to do or have done makes you unlovable and unworthy of human connection. 
And this emotion goes so deep into our psyche because we are pack animals. Humans evolved in tribes and to be kicked out of the tribe or deemed unworthy of that human connection meant death. And this emotion still resides with us. We feel so much better when we feel comfortable in our social connections and our networks and our primary social network in this culture is our family and our loved ones. And that includes your sexual partner. And so when something about your sexuality makes you feel like if it was to be discovered, you would lose that connection that evokes the feeling of shame. And when we're taught that our sexuality itself, just the feelings of desire, the feelings of being a sexual person makes you unworthy or makes you a bad person, that is shame that just resonates at the core of your being and affects everything you do in life. So you are saying that when we experience shame for being sexual beings, we're worried that we're not worthy of being loved and accepted because there's something wrong with us. Right. And I think what we need to recognize right at the outset of this conversation is that there is a huge spectrum of sexual shame. Some of us have received the message that sexuality itself is shameful and wrong. And especially for women, the longing for sexual pleasure, the desire to be a sexual being is shameful in and of itself. And then on the other side of the spectrum, some people have shame about very specific sexual desires or parts of their sexuality, like wanting to experience anal pleasure or wanting to have a spanking or explore other kinds of kinky sexuality or wanting same sex interactions. These kinds of activities trigger shame in a lot of people because they think it's abnormal. They've been taught that this kind of sexual pleasure is outside the box of what's normal. And therefore, if they were to disclose that to their partners, they would lose that connection. They would lose respect, lose their dignity, and perhaps lose that relationship. And so all of us are affected by sexual shame, and it is up to each of us to root it out figure out how shame is interacting with our sex life and start fixing that, start healing it. And that's what we're going to talk about towards the end of this podcast, how to start getting over shame and transforming it. Because it is possible with small incremental changes that we can all do. So it's challenging, but I think it's an essential piece of having a sex life that is really yours or else we have a sex life that is totally affected and impacted by how we've been raised by our culture's sex negativity and to really claim our own desire and pleasure. We have to do this internal work no matter who we are. Right. And let's be clear, this sexual shame comes from hundreds and thousands of years of sex negativity in culture. And this does come, yes, from the church and the church's legacy of social control. And they used the fear of hell to instill the fear of sex into their followers. And it's complicated by the fact that the church and state were very much entwined for most of Western history. And so whether or not you are a follower of a specific church that has a sex negative message, these sex negative messages trickled out into culture, into society, and became how we talked and dealt with sexuality as a whole, as a culture. 
And it's only within the past 50 years that we're starting to change these messages and challenge them and create a culture that celebrates sexuality and believes that it's a positive, healthy thing. And 50 years in the history of sexuality is a blink. And so you, as a listener of this podcast, are actually part of changing sex culture. And that's a huge mission of ours as the pleasure mechanics is to change the dialogues about sex, because whether or not you recognize it, you are impacted and your sex life is very much affected by the legacy of these thousands of years of sex negative messaging. But for now, it's important just to recognize that this legacy of sex negativity is really just behind us. We're just emerging out of it. And we're not even emerged out of it yet, right? There's a specter of violence that has to do with sexual expression and freedom. And yet in this country, and most of the countries where we have listeners, we have listeners all around the world. But for most of us, we have a certain semblance of sexual freedom. We get to choose who our partners are. We get to choose when and how we have sex. And yet we still live in a culture where sexual violence is always kind of lurking in the shadows, where it's always used as a threat to monitor how women express themselves. And men and women alike are impacted by this. We can't think of this just as a women's issue because men's sexuality is very much tied up in this dialogue of sex culture, in how we treat sexual pleasure. And I think we're all in it together and we really need to emphasize that. And so how does sexual shame enter our daily lives? We've been talking about this really broad cultural issue, but when you get really personal, you have to start thinking about the early messages you received about sex. How did your parents talk to you about masturbation? How did they talk to you about how you dressed when you went to school? How did they talk about whether or not you were having sex with your teenage partners? What messages did you receive from your parents, your friends, your church, your school about sexuality as you were growing up? And if you think about that, you start really uncovering a lot of negative messages, a lot of messages about fear, saying negative things about promiscuity, urging you to not have sex until you're married. What messages about sexuality did you receive? Did you receive any positive messages? Were you ever told that, hey, sex is a really great thing in life and you're going to enjoy it a lot when you grow up and your body is yours to share with people as you please? How many people received messages like that? I mean, close to none, I would imagine. (laughs) Right? Unless you had really like hippie parents on the outskirts of culture you probably received mostly very negative fear-based messages. And that creeps into your psyche. And even as an adult, when you're choosing your sex partner, it affects you. So the point is, this is deep work. (laughs) This is not easy, right? Be gentle with yourself. Be kind with yourself, knowing that this is profound and complicated And And what is there to do about it? That's what we're here to talk about, because we can recognize this as a problem, and it is a problem for almost all of us, ourselves included, even as professional sex educators dedicated to teaching about sexual pleasure, we still have to do this work all the time. It's an ongoing process to think about the messages you receive and how you want to treat your sexuality. But the good news is, is that these attitudes can be shifted. 
you can work at creating new thought patterns and beliefs about your sexuality. And so some really tangible examples here. We often hear from women who like to enjoy orgasms when they're alone, when they're masturbating, but when it comes to having orgasms with their partner, they just can't seem to get over that hump. And this often is about not wanting to be seen in pleasure or not feeling worthy of receiving pleasure or feeling guilty or shameful about taking up too much of their lover's time or feeling like they're out of control. All of these attitudes go back to shame around orgasm and around pleasure. We hear from a lot of men who are really excited about prostate stimulation, but wouldn't dare ask their partners to explore it with them. That goes back to shame around anal pleasure and around being penetrated as a man and what that means. We hear from a lot of people who want to explore spanking or other kinds of kinky sex, but are totally afraid to ask for it because they think it's abnormal or means something about them as a person and it doesn't go with their identity of being a nice person if they want to be spanked. Again, that's shame around being outside the norm of what's sexually permissible. So think about your own sex life and what desires or expressions or experiences feel a little bit too vulnerable, a little bit too scary, and then start thinking about what messages make you feel that way. What kinds of sexual shame are putting up barriers between you and the experiences you want to have? The thing about shame is that it's so insidious and it's so invisible and it affects what we think, what we allow ourselves to think, what we say, what we ask for, what we don't ask for. There are all these ways that it's sort of this invisible web that really affects what we do and who we are in the world. So beginning to untangle that is a really essential piece to figuring out what we actually want, what we, what is authentically ours instead of our culture or our families, and who we are as sexual beings. I think that's a great point. So let's start talking about how to undo shame. What is the process we can each go through to free ourselves from this invisible web of shame that is holding us back? And as an example, we're going to use the situation that our listener who wrote the question is in, and we wanted to know more about what was holding her back from orgasms. And so I wrote her a follow-up email, and this is what we heard back from her. I had asked her if she was able to have orgasms alone but not with partners which is what I suspected and lo and behold here's what she wrote. I am able to have orgasms easily alone oddly but with my partner something seems more dirty in quotation marks although that doesn't make logical sense. Maybe the thought of becoming pregnant out of wedlock adds to the anxiety like could my mother survive finding out that I have been having sex? I know it's illogical because I'm actually more scared of my mum than unplanned pregnancy itself. My partner always uses condoms and I'm on birth control, so I should be able to relax about it. It's a peculiar thing. Thanks again for your sex positive podcast. It's helped me reframe my thinking so much. Hmm. Peculiar indeed. And I think this is actually a perfect example of how shame operates because she knows it's illogical. She's taking all the rational steps to prevent unwanted pregnancy. And yet this specter of shame, her mother's judgment about her behavior 
is in the way. It's in bed with her and her boyfriend and physically blocking her from being able to have orgasms or experience more pleasure. This is a perfect example of how shame operates. It's not a rational thing. It's not a logical thing. It's something about the perception of judgment or the consequences of your action that gets in your head and distracts you from being able to be present with the pleasure at hand. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break down the steps for how to dissolve shame, confront it head on, and start living more authentically without shame holding you back. So step one is to identify the message that you keep telling yourself or that you're noticing again and again. So in this case, the fact that you're recognizing that you're afraid of your mother's judgment and that that is actually the thing that is in between you and having an orgasm with your partner is really important because then you can begin to dismantle it but identifying what the shame is and where it's coming from when it shows up in your life is a great first step perfect and another example of this might be shame about wanting kinky sex and maybe you've received messages from your friends that that's what bad girls do and your identity is as a good girl and so that couldn't be something you could possibly want right again identify the message where it came from step one step two is to decide if you agree with it because you can continue living with that invisible force with you forever if you want, or you can decide that you don't actually agree with it and that that's somebody else's opinion, value, choice for you, and that you'd like to do something differently. This is all about figuring out what your values are. And it's really interesting because our culture tends to assign value and ethics based on sexual activity rather than the intent of that activity. So something like a spanking isn't necessarily a naughty, bad, rough thing. It can be very loving and tender. It all depends on how you do it. And the ethics and the value of something sexually is really about how you're treating one another, how your what your intentions are towards your lover, if you're in it for their pleasure, or if you're taking advantage of someone or controlling or abusing someone. So it's really about looking at your own sexual values and seeing whether or not the shame based message that you're trying to get rid of aligns with your values or not. So in our caller's case, she has obviously chosen to have premarital sex and it sounds like it is loving and kind and it's in an ongoing long-term relationship and she's above the consenting age. And this all points to that she has made a choice based on her values. It sounds like, Kristen, that the sex that you're having is loving. So the shame that you're experiencing is not based on your own values, but on somebody else's. So there's step two, you have to decide for yourself if you agree with the message of shame that is holding you back. And in most cases, you'll find that it's someone else's baggage. It's not yours. And this is where you get to make a choice to live based on your own values and take control of your own life. So the next step, step three, when you experience the moments, for instance, when you're in bed with your lover and you're beginning to feel like sex is dirty, you get to notice that and then decide if you want to kick your mother out of bed with you. 
and if you want to tell yourself a different story. So you could really look at what your values are around sex and give yourself a, a sentence or a saying that encapsulates what you value and what you think about sex. You could say something to yourself like, this sex is good for me, it's nourishing, it's loving, I allow myself pleasure, or a whole bunch of other sentences. You can figure out what makes sense for you, but when you have that moment, you notice it and then tell yourself a different story. And over time, this story will supplant the one you've been taught from childhood. You'll start replacing that inner dialogue with your own truth. And this takes time, it takes repetition, but it's something to do in that moment where your mind flips its switch and starts experiencing the anxiety and the shame of your mother's presence, of the messages you've been taught by the church. You get to tell your own story in these moments, and that is a really powerful tool that you can use in all sorts of moments when you're experiencing shame. And it works. It works over time because your brain reinforces the neural pathways that are repeated most often. And so what you're doing is instead of your brain going down the track of shame and thinking sex is dirty and you're wrong and sinful for having it, you're flipping the switch and sending your brain train Mm -hmm. down a new track where you reinforce the fact that you believe this sex is good for you. It's healthy. It feels good. It's bringing you closer to your partner. And the more you send your brain train down those tracks, the more it will easily slide into that pattern every time you encounter this situation. So it's really about retraining your brain and it's totally possible. It's called neuroplasticity if you want to get geeky with me, but it really does work. But what it takes is the repeated action of replacing the messages with your own value statements. Because what's getting in the way of the orgasm is your anxiety, right? Right. The shame is leading to anxiety. And so it's basically impossible to have an orgasm when you're in a state of anxiety. What the body needs to have pleasure and orgasm is a state of relaxation. So that is both physical and emotional. So getting comfortable emotionally and relaxing into the idea that you deserve this pleasure, that it is a divine force, if you want to take it there, that feeling pleasure and eroticism is joyful, is is nourishing your body, your cells, and allows you to serve your God more, if that is your... You're taking it there, Well, Charlotte. it sounds like she's from a religious <laughs> background, so that may not be everyone's way of thinking, but... We really believe that sexuality is a force for good um, when it is in a way that feels good to you. And is respectful and loving for everyone involved. Yeah. Right. So that's step number three is replacing the message with your own value statement and retraining your brain on how to respond to these situations. And the next step is really then to pay attention to your body. Mm Mm-hmm. Because all of this has been around your emotions and your thoughts, and all of that will hijack your body's experience. You'll be focusing more on all of those than actually what you're feeling. So once you can relax enough into being present to the sensations that you're experiencing and to the body in front of you, then you can really begin to enjoy what you're experiencing. And once you are able to get there, it's probable that your body will be able to have an orgasm. Especially because you can orgasm alone. Right. So you're physically capable of it. You know what turns you on. So it's all about relaxing into your lover's stimulation so you can take it there with him. 
And so this practice is really about paying attention to what you're feeling in your body, the sensations in your body. And this is actually a really hard skill, but keep using your breath, trying to pay attention to just how you're breathing will help you bring your attention back into your body and pay attention to your lover's hand, mouth, body on your body and feel your skin. It's, it's a lifetime of practice to go deeper and deeper into that experience, but just begin with trying to pay attention to the sensations that are happening to you as they're happening. And this step works in all different situations of shame. One of the biggest kinds of shame people feel is body shame, shame that their body doesn't look a specific way or respond in a specific way that they're not thin enough, tall enough, muscular enough, big enough penis, all of these things that trigger body shame. When you let go of those messages and start really paying attention to how your body feels, you discover that no matter what your body looks like or what ideal it isn't living up to, your body has the capacity to feel an immense amount of pleasure. And if you can focus on the sensations of that pleasure, on how your body is reacting to your lover's touch, you get to experience the authentic pleasure that your body is capable of. And over time, when you have this amount of pleasure, it makes you care a lot less about your jiggly thighs or your penis that's a little crooked or your breasts that are lopsided or whatever it is that's been hijacking your mind in this moment of body shame. So this step of really paying attention to what your body's feeling instead of your internal monologues about what you feel ashamed about can be a really powerful tool no matter what kind of shame you're experiencing. So what's so amazing about the body and the mind is that we can train ourselves slowly, bit by bit, habit by habit, to create a different reality for ourselves. So this can be slow, but it can really make a huge shift in your life, your body, and your relationship. So what's amazing is that over time, you're creating a positive feedback loop. Every time you interrupt your shame, and retell the story and focus on your authentic sensations in your body and then notice that that feels so much better than acting out of a place of shame. You reinforce that behavior and it gets easier and easier and more and more natural until it is your natural authentic expression. And this might take a few months, it might take a year, it might happen really quickly. Often what happens is we realize that these webs of shame are there and they're invisible. And then just like clipping one strand of a spider web, it falls away and our own authentic reality becomes free to express itself. And you notice how much better it feels to live in that place of authentic values and authentic pleasure and express who you are instead of who you are in reaction to our shame-based sex-negative culture. And the more of us that do this, the easier it becomes for everyone because we can start affirming one another in living out of a place of authentic pleasure and love and respect for one another. And I just want to throw in here that another aspect of this is to stop shaming others. Anytime you notice yourself using shame-based language or shaming someone's like, oh, can you believe what that woman is wearing? I would never wear that if I looked like her. 
that is a shame-based message that's telling someone else how they should be expressing themselves or shaming men about their penis size. When we say things like, oh, I can't believe he drives that truck and must be compensating for a tiny dick, ha ha ha. That's again, a shame-based message. And we need to stop doing that as a culture. So the more you can affirm others and live in a positive way and use sex positive language in your everyday life, together we're creating a culture that supports one another in freeing ourselves from the specter of shame. Women do this so often with each other whenever we just think these thoughts like, oh, she looks sort of slutty. When you see women who are being sexual, notice what your responses are internally. These are all sorts of moments for seeing how your shame shows up. It would be so much more joyful if we could support one another and notice the beauty in one another and even acknowledge it in moments instead of shaming one another for the fear that they look more attractive or more sexual than us which I think is what often we do. Right, we project outwards the shame we're feeling inside and that judgment becomes about someone else when really it's about ourselves. So we hope that this podcast about sexual shame and how to overcome it will be really useful for all of our listeners in clearing the cobwebs of shame that hold us back and restrict our expression and tell us how we should be instead of letting ourselves authentically express who we are, what our desires are, what would be fulfilling, and how we can live our most happy, fulfilling sex life. Because that, of course, is our goal for you, and we're here to guide you every step of the way. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com, where you'll find our complete suite of online courses designed to help you master new sexual skills and have the amazing sex life you deserve. Because we bet that as you clear away those cobwebs of shame, you'll find that there's things you want to explore and our online courses are a great way to start doing that. As a listener of Speaking of Sex, use the code SPEAKINGOFSEX for 20% off any online course of your choice. Specifically, the couples massage course and the foreplay course, of course, <laughs> foreplay course, of course, of course, <laughs> would make the most sense for you. Kristen, if you wanted to explore that, because the couple's massage is an amazing way of relaxing the body. And you're saying that you're in a state of anxiety while being with your partner and being able to really learn how to fully relax with your partner during massage is sometimes easier than trying to do it immediately in sex. So it's a good warm up. It's a good way of practicing relaxation while being sexual with your partner, but in a less charged way. So check those out if they feel right for you and let us know if you have any questions. We're here for you. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We're the pleasure mechanics. Wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. Cheers.